with AI, if you use technology that's supported by that to show you different metrics around fundraising for your organization, it could paint a picture for you and help you understand where to focus time and energy. And then the human connection comes as a result of that. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is part of a very special series called The People Behind the Products. There is no sponsorship or industry money behind the production of this series, and the editorial content is at the sole discretion of the What The Fundraising team. But I wanted to give you a sense of the great people, ideas, and products that power the nonprofit sector. So let's dive in to meet today's guest. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Josh Klugman. Josh, welcome to What the Fundraising. Hi, Mallory. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This feels like a great full circle moment after having Jay on the podcast and getting introduced to you and the incredible work happening over at Yearly. So I'm so excited for everyone to get to know you a little bit better today and what you're up to. So why don't we just start with you giving a little introduction to yourself and what brings you to our conversation today? Thanks for having me. My name is Josh Kligman. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Yearly, and we're a platform for nonprofits and organizations that want to create their own digital reports and find new ways to engage donors and stakeholders. And I'm really excited to talk today because I have a, a marketing and a fundraising background, and I worked at a nonprofit, and I was just trying to find more efficient ways to produce things like reports that can move the needle and track. And that's why we started this company. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about the annual report or impact report pain that many nonprofits feel and what some of your experiences were in that area that you feel like when you were really thinking up yearly, you were aiming to address? Yeah. Pain is probably a good way to put it because it's a struggle for whole teams. I've been part of teams that spent months, three, four, five months working on the content for a report. And that's important work. And we were doing that because we were telling a whole number of stories about a lot of different programs that a variety of stakeholders wanted to hear. And it just has to be done. We just found that there were probably different ways that we could engage donors and volunteers and I guess board members too over time that would be a little bit different. And we're giving thought to where they are when they're viewing reports, like are they on the go? And one of the things that always came up was about long format text and how great or not great it is to tell a whole story that you have to really read through. And I think that there's so many distractions that people are looking at. It's probably a great idea to think about something that has other components to storytelling besides written text, like photos and videos. And maybe there's social media posts where you talked about these pieces of a story a long time ago, and you can really highlight the constituents in your reports in different ways that are really kind of fun and exciting for your audience to read and just captivate them a little bit more. So we're always looking for new ways to be able to do that. 
Okay, maybe I'm going a little rogue with this question here, but I feel like we're all getting constantly inundated by the fact that everyone's attention span has gone way down. But then we're also being told showing impact is so important in terms of building donor belonging and connection. And the impact report has been the historical way that nonprofits at least once a year have really summarized their annual giving. But you're rethinking that in certain ways. And And to me, what you all allow people to do on yearly feels a little bit more fluid. Not that people can't create their full year-end report, but it seems like it might also allow for like faster feedback loops, impact feedback loops. So can you talk to me a little bit about why that's so important and sort of how you guys have built that in? Yeah, I mean, it's really about thinking about your turning your annual report or your impact report into whatever it is that you need. I think there's a lot of ways that you can throw the norm in the garbage and retool how you're reaching out to your donors, how often you're reaching out to your donors. So we still see, and I think it's very important still to do that annual type report. But then there's different programs you might want to highlight throughout the year. So you can show in different impact reports, or I've seen really creative quarterly updates. Actually, there was a school in the Cleveland area. It was a private and independent K through 12 school that was wanted to showcase, I think, like the artwork that kids were doing. So they're a nonprofit and they just did a whole e-magazine showcase. And that was how they were showing their impact. And it was something a little different. So when donors, in their case, parents and grandparents and different alumni of the school take a look at that, it really captures their attention in the same way that an annual report is telling a story by just showing the art for that nonprofit, they're telling a story too. So I think it could be more fluid because there's things like templates and AI and mobile responsiveness that help move things faster. So with templates, one thing that Yearly has done, and I think this is a really nice parallel to AI, is a jumpstart to make the report process faster. So let's say you just had a gala or a golf tournament, whatever the event is, maybe it's not even an annual report, and you wanna quickly turn around and show the donors or the sponsors that were helping or that could help for next year, or just thank the people that were coming and, and show what that event was like, you can create a report using a template, and then all of a sudden, you know, you tweak it so that it has that look and feel for your own brand, and then you have your own template, you can then duplicate for other reports that are really similar, and you're just moving so much faster because you're spending a lot of time writing the stories there. You shouldn't have to get bogged down on the design or anything that makes it look great, especially when you're trying a new tool. And that's where AI can come into play also. We're testing four types of AI right now. And one of them is about storytelling. So let's say you have the right prompts in the AI within the yearly platform. You can quickly have a great head start with your story and not have to sit there and write everything from scratch. So those proprietary prompts are something we're working on specifically for the nonprofit sector. Cool. I'm curious, you know, I mean, I think I did use the word pain because it was a very painful process for me. And I think one of the things that created a lot of that pain was the amount of revisions. And I think just the permanence that people felt with like this printable document that, and not that you can't print your impact reports through yearly, but I just, you know, the day you send your annual report to the printer, 
is like the best and worst day sort of of every nonprofit ED's like life, I feel like. And so I talk a lot on this podcast and in my work around like overcoming some of the perfectionism that really holds us back in this sector. And I think one of the things I really loved about like looking at your platform and thinking about doing impact reporting in this really different way, it kind of like made me take a breath and be like, I think I could have released this earlier or got in my ED when I wasn't in the ED role to maybe not do like a 27th read through of the impact report. I'm curious if you notice anything like that with the folks who use yearly. Yeah. I mean, if you're a perfectionist, it's a hard pill to swallow when that 28 page binded report comes back from the printer and you printed 5,000 copies and you spelled one of your major donors names wrong and you can't correct it. We've all been there with those types of similar errors. And when I was printing reports years ago for a nonprofit, someone came to me and said, listen, we've gone back and forth with the advertising agency for 15 rounds of edits. There's going to be one mistake in a long report like this. So don't sweat it. I think you can relieve that whole pain point and not have to worry about that during this whole process of creating a report. If you're creating something that's web-based because you can hit that publish button and have that, oh my God, moment and go back and correct it. And you're updating a webpage. So no one's going to know. The other thing that's stressful too is, I mean, thinking about looking at reports on cell phones, because with honor rolls and donor lists, there's a lot of names there too. Even just the regular stories, like what's the best practice when viewing this stuff on a cell phone in terms of thinking about your donors and how they're viewing it. And it's not pinching and zooming all the way in so that you can see all the little details. If it's that hard for them to do it, they'll say, I'll come back to this later. And you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. You don't know the answer. So having a report that's mobile responsive help save the printing costs, relieve that stress that you're talking about, Mallory, and then really help them read it right away. And then you can know that because you could track metrics when you're moving to something that's web-based also. And PDFs, PDFs can't do that. And printing doesn't do that. They have a place. And I think it's this transition over time because not everybody's ready to say, Let's pull the cord immediately on all printing and everything. But we're headed there. We're seeing a lot of organizations already making that leap. I'm curious, have you seen like organizations though that have been sort of resistant? Like we think most of our donors still want a paper copy. We'll try this digital thing at first. And have they been surprised around what the adoption has been in terms of online viewing? Yeah, I know a foundation in Las Vegas and also another large religious foundation in New Orleans that were hesitant to take an audience that was used to giving, I guess, receiving something in the mail and doing it a certain way, especially an older audience. And I said, all right, well, let's test that, see if it's a myth, but let's do a slow transition over to digital and send them a jumbo postcard and say, hey, the report's now online and with a QR code and a written out link underneath it, let them know they can go see it. And then the next year, they're kind of trained right over time to go do it online. And then they see good results because it's, it's headed that way anyway. And it's hard to jump on that train right away, but I think it's a personality thing. You know, I mean, maybe it's early adopters or people that just are ready to try something new and save costs from all the printing. A bigger trend, though, that I'm seeing right now is amongst organizations that are already sending some sort of digital report that want to think about personalization because customizing reports for different segments of donors is also a really hot topic I'm hearing about, especially across universities and larger foundations and healthcare where they have so many donors at high levels and they can tell them different stories that way. So really fascinating what's going on. Yeah. What has been since starting yearly? I mean, maybe 
other than that, like what have been some of your biggest surprises being on this side of the sector work and working with nonprofits? Like where do you see the opportunities and what's happening in the sector that you're worried about? I think that the biggest surprise would be this concept of customization that I'm talking about because I'm seeing that a report, let's say it's a donor report that says, dear Mallory, thank you for your contribution of, of X and then the stories that go into it. I didn't realize that that was going on. I used to work for an advertising agency years ago and we had Mandalay Bay Casino as a client. This is when I lived for a really short time in Las Vegas. And they wanted to send a direct mail piece out to their high rollers. And it was a small list of really high-end clients that visited the casino. And they wanted to send them this really nice leather-bound invitation. And you open it up. I think there was like a glass piece inside. And like the invitation was, I don't remember if it was etched into it. I don't remember the details, but I remember the printer talking about variable printing and the time it would take to create each one. But it was worth it because they really wanted to catch the attention of the people coming. So... It surprises me that that concept, I think, translates over into sending out digital reports. The worry, though, is the amount of time that that projects like that end up taking. A few universities told me they spend a month on that, which is too long. So we're actually launching technology in a couple of weeks at Yearly that will automate that entire process so that if you, Mallory, donated to a program that's focused on the environment, I know you care about the environment. It's saved in my nonprofit CRM like that. Maybe you just want to see a personalized story about the environment. You don't want to hear about the other programs in the organization that you don't care as much about. And then the next person would receive something else. So that's another trend. And I guess the time there is the worry. Yeah, I know. I'm curious in creating a technology that is intended to really save nonprofits so much time, but knowing that you work in a sector where tech adoption can also be slow, and we tend to have this narrative in this sector, like we've always done it that way. And I think the fear, I mean, I joke about this, but when I talk to tech companies and they're like, oh man, like why won't people just like personalize their emails or do these really simple things? And I'm like, well, can I tell you about like my tech trauma with like mail merge? <laughs> Because I think I had some very formidable label making experiences in my 20s that like really scared me away from certain technology for a very long time. And I think when you're in the technology space and you're used to utilizing those tools or that adoption, it can be easy to be like, oh, but this is going to make your life so much easier. But then on the nonprofit side, there's still this tremendous amount of overwhelm. Like what have you found in terms of what's allowed leaders to dip their toe in, whether it's with yearly or other tools, just to start to try to do something a little bit differently that maybe opens up the possibility of optimizing their time down the road. I think it's seeing nice examples from other organizations and getting that confidence that you know that you can do it. So there's probably a dozen tech for good companies out there that are thinking about right now that do a great job at that and building a relationship with the nonprofit so they understand that there is not this idea that you purchase new software and then you have to go figure it out yourself. I mean, I think that there's a lot of companies out there that have teams of people that will help along the way. Most of them are people that used to work at nonprofits and then they go over to the tech sector and they're helping with that. So, I mean, you're right. I mean, I was in the thick of working at a, a nonprofit where I think there was some slow adoption to technology in some areas, not in my corporate office, I don't think, but in other divisions around the country and around the world. So 
seeing examples out there and getting the education around is important. So if I was still working in a nonprofit right now, I would think about the conferences that are out there, podcasts like this, where you can just kind of learn about it and then try to see it in action, maybe somewhere else and then think, all right, well, I think I could probably do that and start slow. I mean, diving in and like changing your entire CRM to something new, just because you heard about something, you know, that's a huge project. You don't want to take on more than you can chew. I understand that. I've been there. <laughs> We've been there. I know. I know. Well, it is yeah. nice. I mean, it makes a big difference having like a tech leader like you having sat in the nonprofit's shoes and like been in these roles that you're talking to now. I feel like you can really tell the difference both in products, but also in terms of how companies work with nonprofits. Like you can sort of tell like, oh, you've been there before, which I think is really nice. Yeah, I mean, I remember what I would want to pay, what I wouldn't want to pay, the support that I would need, which is like the most important thing, right? For the person actually doing the job with any technology that you're going to get. And word travels fast. I mean, if the support's good or not good, then people will tell their colleagues in the industry. So It's true. I find they're much better about sharing their complaints. Although I think that people are getting a lot better. Like I hear a lot more of like challenges people are having than the tech that they love. Although I am actually noticing an increasing trend on social media of people recommending tech platforms and partners that they've had really wonderful experiences with, which I think is awesome to see. So that's so great. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? I can't think of anything that you didn't ask me that you should have asked me. I'll ask you a question though, Mallory. What do you see as one of the most interesting or biggest trends in the nonprofit? I'm going to keep it in the tech space because that's where I'm at in nonprofit technology space that's happened over the last year, right? Especially as people returning to the office or maybe trying new things. What's out there that's just interesting to you? You know, I'm heavily involved in this work of this fundraising AI work at the moment, which is like a coalition of leaders thinking about the responsible use of AI. And it's funny because I'm not a technologist by any means, but I understand the sort of tender line that technology how it intersects with our sector in just very particular ways. And I think AI poses tremendous opportunity for optimization, support, increasing capacity, like all of these things that I feel very excited about. In addition to the need for the responsible use of it, I think just the overarching understanding of how technology can support human connection, I think is like really interesting. So I'm like really interested in how our sector is thinking about and adopting the use of AI in ways that actually doesn't make fundraising more robotic, but actually makes it more human because the elements of fundraising that have been sinking us and taking all of our time, those get to be handled by technology, allowing us to connect more deeply in our uniquely human ways. And like, I'm very interested to see how that understanding continues to grow, what nonprofits need to be able to feel like they can adopt that. Because I hear a lot from nonprofits like, well, if you use more automation, isn't that just like ruining this connection between you and the donor? And so I think there is this real balance that we are facing as a sector right now around like understanding and integrating technology in ways that highlights the human connection of this sector as opposed to detracts from it. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, with AI, if you use technology that's supported by that to show you different metrics around fundraising for your organization, it could paint a picture for you and help you understand where to focus time and energy. And then the human connection comes as a result of that. I talked before about AI for copywriting. So if you think about storytelling, it's not going to do the whole job in that vein, right, for you, but it's going to speed it up. And then you'll have an idea of how to kind of edit or keep writing from there. And then the result of that is all about the human connection that you have with the donor. And then with personalization, like you mentioned, or automation, yeah, I guess it depends on what on what you're doing, but you have to check whatever it is because AI could be wrong. I mean, there's, there's this court case that happened, what, three, four weeks ago where an attorney was citing a case and the judge looked it up and the case didn't exist. And that's because the fact was checked by AI, but a human at the firm didn't actually check to see if that was even a real case. They just assumed. So there could be mistakes, right? So I think all that gets us a giant head start while we figure out the best applications for AI and nonprofit. And I've seen like an association the other day was talking about how they'll use AI to help internally with a lot of the things that you just talked about. And then at the same time, they'll just wait for tech companies to push stuff out. And then that'll help them figure out how they can just use it in their everyday. Yeah. I mean, I'm using it so much now more than I ever thought I would. And I mean, it's just amazing what has happened in this space in the last 10 years. I mean, I think about what my email marketing software looked like in my last ED role compared to what is possible today. And and it's just tremendous. And I know for those nonprofits who might not have been adopting a lot of tech along the way, this feels like 15,000 jumps ahead. And so just trying to figure out how we like bridge this gap. I think we all sort of have our our work cut out for us. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me today for sharing everything about yearly. I'll make sure that folks have all the links to go check it out below as well. But I'm so grateful for this time. Yeah, same here. Thank you, Mallory. I appreciate it. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed this special episode of the people behind the products. For additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about our amazing guest. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow for another episode of the people behind the products. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.